Good morning. Let's look at the Bible. What an awesome privilege it is. So for those of you who have been uh, regularly listening to our sermons, you'll be aware that through 2023, uh, we began each month with a focus on prayer. And uh, on the Sunday morning, we did that, and that launched us then into a week of prayer, as so articulated in the uh, notices today, um, that that commences our week of prayer. And uh, really, that was in response to us uh, hearing from God in the autumn of 2022, and him telling us that 2023 would be a year of prayer, and we needed to take that seriously. So as we went through 2023... um, Things built, really, and we felt that we were doing more than just having a year of prayer, and that actually what was happening was that God was helping us lay in the church a foundation of prayer, that that is actually part of our calling as Jubilee Church to be a people who pray, and we were learning how to do that. And we felt, as 2023 has come to a close, that we need to continue because we've still got more to learn. We need to keep digging at that foundation. We keep need to, needing to build on a foundation of prayer. And so, again, this year, the first month, the first week of every month will be a week of prayer, and it will be kicked off by a sermon on Sunday morning about prayer. Now, whereas last year we spent the year being inspired by different individuals on the pages of Scripture who prayed, so you may remember Hannah, who prayed for a baby, or Mary, who prayed for God's kingdom to come, or Hezekiah, who prayed for deliverance, and all the other characters we looked at. And each of those demonstrated what it meant to live a life that was saturated in prayer. Because in every circumstance, their first response was to pray. And so we learned a lot from them. And this year, we're going to continue to focus. But this time, instead of picking out individuals, we're going to look at where there are instructions or examples of prayer in Scripture. And so sometimes it may be that we look at a particular characteristic of prayer. So, for example, praying with persistence or praying with thankfulness or praying when we're anxious, that kind of feel to it. Sometimes we'll be thinking about the particular content of prayer that we're instructed to pray. So we might be praying for leaders or praying for healing. And today's really kind of sits in that way. We're praying for workers. There's some content that we're encouraged to put into our prayer and pray into that. So um, I get to start the series today. Um, So that's what we're doing. So if you've got your Bibles with you, it would be great if you could find the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first book of our New Testament. And we're going to read a few verses that wrap up the end of that chapter. So verses 35 to 38. And I just wonder if you're able to stand. Could you stand as we read the word of God together as a way of showing that we honour what God has said to us through the Bible? So Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And the words will appear on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Amen. Please do take your seats.
So I think the first thing we need to note is that Jesus here is speaking to his disciples. We see that in in verse 37. He says to his disciples, and then he gives them the prayer that they're to pray. And, uh, And so that's, we're his disciples. And so he is speaking to us. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw out four different aspects that I think come out of this passage that are going to help us as we learn to pray uh, in the way that Jesus taught us. So the first thing I want to draw attention to is the need. Now, some people have particular skills. I think you'd agree, and you can probably think of people and their particular skills. Well, I want to uh, just mention my good friend Pauline. I can't see There she is, Pauline. Hi, Pauline. Who has a particular skill of growing tomatoes. I don't know whether you've seen her tomato plants, but every summer when we pop round to hang out with Paul and Pauline, Pauline's tomatoes scale the back wall of the house on these trellises, absolutely beautiful, just juicy, ripe tomatoes that are absolutely lovely. I too like to grow tomatoes, or at least try to grow tomatoes. But after I visited Pauline, I find myself returning to my home with a little bit of tomato envy um, when I look at my little sticks with the odd leaf on and maybe a tomato or two trying to do something. But anyway, a few years ago, I was quite proud with how my tomatoes were getting. Still not Pauline scale of things, but they were doing all right. And uh, lots of green tomatoes appearing, and they were just growing nicely. It was probably, you know, back in COVID where I couldn't actually go anywhere, so I actually looked after them properly. But anyway, um, unfortunately, maybe that's the wrong phrase, but we'd booked a summer holiday, and so we went away. Now, before we went away, the tomatoes were not ripe enough to pick, and by the time we came back, following... A week of no rain and hot sunshine in Solihull, my tomatoes were no longer ready to be picked because they were kind of shriveled on these brown sticks with dead leaves and kind of squishy, soft-looking, horrible things that were meant to be my tomatoes. It was all a bit sad, really. I persevere each year, each year, each year I try, but there we go. Now, the... Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Peter. Now, the problem, the problem that particular year wasn't that there was no harvest, but that there were no willing workers. There was no one to harvest those tomatoes at the time that it was needed. And that's the analogy that Jesus uses here, not with tomatoes, but with fields that are ripe for harvest. He says, there's a plentiful harvest, but the workers are few. The workers are few. And I think this is a cry that has been the same all the way down through the ages. There has always been a harvest ready to be harvested. Never has there been an era when God hasn't had a harvest ready. Never has God stopped working in producing a harvest. Never has there been a time when there weren't people around to be pointed to God? But there has always been a shortage of harvesters, a shortage of workers, a 
few people who are willing to go out into the field and do the hard work of gathering in the harvest. And so Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And it's worth noting, I think, that the harvesters don't produce the growth. God does that. He doesn't say, go out into the fields and make sure that these plants grow so that we can harvest. He says, no, the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. All the harvesters have to do is go and gather in the crop that's ready. One year, we, uh, in fact, probably the only year, we went camping, and um, where we were camping overlooked this wheat field. And it was late August, and uh, the farmer, on the day we were there, started to harvest his field. This huge combine harvester thing, up and down and up and down and up and down. Hours and hours and hours of harvesting. Hot work, dry work, thirsty work, hard work. That's why there's no workers. Because it's not an easy option. The need is for workers, people who are willing to give themselves to God's business and to help gather in his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. So that's the need that Jesus identifies. And then... He tells us what the request should be. So he's identified the need, so what follows is a request. If you've got a school with a load of students who need teaching, but not enough teachers, then you ask for more teachers. If you've got a building development with loads of new houses that need to be built, but you haven't got many bricklayers, you ask for bricklayers. If you've got a delivery company with thousands of parcels that need delivering, but you've got very few drivers, then what do you ask for? Drivers. So if you've got a harvest field with a huge harvest but few workers, what do you ask for? Harvesters, workers. It's obvious. The the logic is inescapable. You've got a big harvest. You've got few workers, so you ask the Lord of the harvest. For workers. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples here and he explains the situation so easily, so carefully, so obviously. And it's the same for us today. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask for workers. Now, I don't know about you, but I often find myself wondering what to pray for. I don't know what to pray for. Don't know how to pray. Don't know what should my priorities be. But if you ever find yourself saying that, here's an answer. Pray for workers. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus says, look around. That's the situation. So ask the Lord of the harvest to fix it. So we've got the need. We've got the request. We've also got the motivation. You see, it's all very well to identify the need and then tell you how to meet the need by asking for workers, but what's actually going to motivate you to pray that? So let's just go back into the passage and see why Jesus prayed. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Yes, Jesus saw the need. Yes, he knew what to ask for. But crucially, he was motivated by compassion. He was moved. He was emotionally stirred to pray. 
because he actually saw the real plight of people. Jesus was moved by compassion to pray. So I'd like you to think of someone now who doesn't know Jesus yet. Could be a family member, could be a colleague, a friend, a classmate, a neighbor. What do you feel when you think of them? Feel frustration that they still haven't responded? Feel desperation? Will they ever respond? Do you feel hope? Because actually last week there was a glimmer of something. Feel disappointment that after all these years, still they don't know Jesus. Or many other emotions you may feel. Well, what does Jesus see, feel when he sees them? He feels compassion. He feels compassion for them. Because he sees their plight. I was struck by the words in that song that we sang that um, thou changest not thy compassions they fail not. That's the kind of compassion we're talking about. It's not wishful thinking. It's not just feeling sorry for them. This is a deep, deep, deep longing in the heart of our Savior for these people who are lost. And we're to be like Jesus, aren't we? So maybe we need to pray for compassion. But why does he have this compassion? Well, he sees their plight. He sees, in verse 37, that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed, the word there, means to become enfeebled through exhaustion, to grow weary to grow weak, to be absolutely tired out. That's what he sees. And the, the helpless word is often used in the context of war where the army has been scattered and just lying on the battlefield, prone with exhaustion. Nothing left in them to give. Harassed and helpless. That's what Jesus sees when he sees the crowd. And of course they're like that. Of course the people in the crowd are like that. They have no leadership. They have no vision. They have no care, no nourishment, no protection. They're like sheep without a shepherd. That's the picture that Jesus brings to mind. And it's the shepherd who's meant to supply their needs. It's the shepherd who's meant to lead them to pasture. It's the shepherd who's meant to supply them with water. It's the shepherd who's meant to find them a place to rest. It's the shepherd who's meant to provide them with safety. And they haven't got a shepherd. So of course they're harassed and helpless. Psalm 23 maybe is a picture which comes to mind. Because that's the shepherd doing all the good shepherd things leading beside still waters, finding green pasture, protecting through the darkest, deepest shadows of valleys. But if this crowd has no shepherd, then no wonder that they're weary, exhausted, scattered on the ground and helpless. Now the truth is that every single one of us is shepherded by someone or something. 
And if you're not shepherded by Jesus or guided by someone to Jesus to be shepherded by him, then something else shepherds you. It will mean that you take your cues from the world. The models which fill your mind will be of celebrity or fame or status or that kind of thing. It may be that you look to politicians for a lead or gurus for guidance or celebrities for life advice or self for help. You'll look somewhere for purpose. It might be a career, family, hobbies, doing good, education, being successful, winning the traitors, giving to a good cause, campaigning. It could be anything. There's nothing in and of themselves that make those things bad. But when they become your shepherd, you're in trouble because that's what will guide you. And you will end up being weary, being exhausted, lacking vision and hope, because, as the writer to Ecclesiastes describes it, it's all hevel. Everything is meaningless. A wisp, smoke, a vapour, a chasing after the wind, and so when Jesus sees that situation of these, this vast crowd with, like sheep without a shepherd, of course he's filled with compassion. He saw where their lives were headed. A life of busyness leading to weariness but ending in meaninglessness. And he saw ultimately that they'd end up with nothing. They would end up instead of being led by the true and good shepherd into eternal life, they would miss out and end up in death. That's where this crowd was heading. That's the end that awaits anyone who doesn't know Jesus. So no wonder he is moved with compassion. So what about us? When we see the individual that I encouraged you to think about earlier, when we see the crowds... What do we really see? Who do we really see? What do we really feel? Jesus felt compassion, and that compassion motivated him to pray. So we've seen the need. We've seen, heard the request. We've discovered the motivation. And what we all want when we pray is the answer, isn't it? So there is good news, sorry if it's been a bit downbeat so far. Now, when you read most books, or certainly the books I read, it's my experience that they're usually arranged in chapters. And the story and the narrative unfolds chapter by chapter. And it may be that the author, at the end of a particular chapter, leaves you on the edge of your seat. Or it may be that the author wraps up a scene really neatly and then the next chapter begins a new thing. When the Bible was first written, it wasn't written in chapters. Didn't have chapter numbers and verse numbers. They've been added later to help us 
divide it up so that we don't get lost in a thousand page scroll. And so here, Matthew didn't necessarily come to the end of verse 38 of chapter 9 and say, I'm off for a cup of tea now. That wraps that up. And then the next day or the next week, he comes back and writes chapter 10. I mean, that may have happened, but it may not have happened. And often when we read in the Bible, the chapter breaks do help us, but we've got to remember that sometimes it's good to read over the page. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read those verses again and I'm going to carry on. As if there's no chapter division there, because originally there wasn't. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, the motivation for prayer, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, the need. The request, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do you notice what happened? The prayer was prayed for workers to be sent out into the harvest field. And the next thing that happens is that 12 of his disciples are designated as apostles and sent out into the harvest field. He's just told them to pray that prayer and then they're sent. They are the answer to their own prayer. They're the first workers to be sent into the harvest field. They're the first ones to go and be sent to this crowd that Jesus has felt compassion for. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it very easy to create distance between my prayers and the answers. Very easy. I did it just last Sunday. So chatting to Lizzie over coffee, and uh, she said her shoulder was causing her a bit of pain. So I thought, I know what to do here. I'll offer to pray. Has anyone prayed for, for you, Lizzie? And even if they had, should we pray again? Oh, so we prayed. Martin joined us. Martin Thompson joined us. We prayed for her. At the end of the prayer, I didn't even bother asking if it was any better. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Always good to be encouraged by your friends. <laughs> A few minutes later, Lizzie said to me, there's been an improvement straight away. I can already move it more. Well, I think that deserves a praise God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe my reaction is on a par with yours then, because I said, really? She said, yeah. 
And update today is that it's got better as the week has progressed. So praise God for that. I did the right thing in praying for healing. Absolutely. I'm utterly convinced that God can heal, that he does heal, that he loves to heal. Far less convinced that he's going to use me as part of the process. Here, when praying for workers, we need to be prepared that we might be part of the answer. To be his harvesters, his agents in the field, his workers. And too often, when I pray this prayer, send someone, what I really mean is send someone else. But if we've been moved with compassion, if we've done that for a need that we've seen, then why wouldn't God use us? We might be the best placed person to be used to speak into that situation, to encourage someone to shift their attention from their current shepherd to the good shepherd. When we pray for workers, we need to be prepared that we may be one of them. And so what were the workers sent to do? Well, to do exactly what Jesus did. Exactly what Jesus did. Um, I don't know whether you noticed the similarity between verse 35 of chapter 9 and verse 1 of chapter 10. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Verse 1. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. They were to do exactly what they saw Jesus doing. Why? Because then the crowds, the harassed, helpless, shepherdless crowds would be gathered to the great shepherd. Their diseases would be healed. Their sicknesses would be treated. They would have freedom from evil spirits and they would hear the good news of the gospel. That's what the crowd needs. That's what the sheep without a shepherd need. And so I think there's a challenge for us as we enter into this week of prayer, is are we prepared to pray this prayer? Do we look out and see a harvest that's ready? Do we see that there's a lack of workers? Do we see ourselves as part of the workforce for Jesus? And do we find ourselves motivated by compassion? And the thing is that as we pray this prayer, we can be sure that God will answer it. Why? Because he is Lord of the harvest. Did you see that title for him there? Lord of the harvest. All the harvest belongs to him. He's in charge of the harvest. He's over the harvest. He's got the harvest. He just wants people to serve in the harvest field. And so we're going to respond in two ways. We've got communion uh, for us. So we're going to come because he is our good shepherd. We're going to come to the Lord of the harvest and thank him that we were reaped in. We've been brought in and we are now no longer sheep without a shepherd. We are sheep with the great shepherd looking after us. 
And after we've done that, we're going to pray. And we're going to just come to our great shepherd. Isn't that amazing? That picture of the shepherd, that those who are lost, he is gathered in and he leads us. He leads us so gently, so tenderly, and he leads us into his presence. So we're going to do that. And after you've come and and taken your bread and wine, do feel free to go back to your seats. And then what I'd encourage you to do is to pray. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So let's pray for God to intervene. Let's pray for God to send workers into the harvest field. And it may be that you find you, that you actually, the thing that's connected with you this morning is, am I really, do I really feel that compassion for the lost? Well, what better place to spend than at the communion table asking God to put in you a compassion for the lost? Because this is the price he paid. His blood was shed, his body was broken. That's the extent of the compassion that he felt for us, that we could come to know him.